Welcome to the Commercial Disco, a voyage of commercial discovery. This episode is proudly brought to you by CSIRO, Australia's National Science Agency and Innovation Catalyst. Explore the commercialization of great ideas across deep tech and science. Immerse yourself in conversations with the ambitious minds shaping Australia's unique innovation landscape. Discover their insights into what's needed to bring these remarkable ideas to life. Hello and welcome to the Commercial Disco Podcast. My name's James Riley. I'm the Editorial Director at InnovationOz.com. The Commercial Disco, which is so named because we're all about commercial discovery, is a partnership between Innovation Oz and the National Science Agency, CSIRO. Today, I'm talking to Dean Capabianco. He's the Chief Executive of Geoscape. Welcome to the program, Dean. Thank you, James. Thanks for having me. All right, we're going to start. Geoscape, to my understanding, is all about a big chunk of data, the national address file. Perhaps you can just step us through. What is the organization? What does it do? Who is it valuable to? In simple terms, Geoscape Australia is a location intelligence company, and we focus on data and data outcomes. We are considered the source of truth for national geolocation information and insights for both government and industry. And here at Geoscape, I mean, we view our business as a critical data asset that supports and enables the Australian economy. Okay, I probably should have mentioned this before. So Dean Capabianco, obviously a uh, former Olympian, Atlanta and Barcelona Olympics, but also got into this data space that you're in. You kind of have been across digital and data throughout your post-Olympic career. I think you news digital media for a while, Yahoo in the very early days. 9MSN for a long time. So is there a natural transition from being Olympian into the digital space? How did that all come about? Yeah, it was. Look, I was obviously wrapping up a career. I was working. I was studying at the time. I fell into digital media at News Corp uh, that you pointed out earlier. And there's a fascination for me around just the pace of change, you know, the pace that the business operated. So that suited me down to the ground, sort of being a, a speedster. And my life went through a massive transformation and I really had to focus on that, you know, a lot like the experience we've been through at Geoscape. But I was really sort of drawn, I suppose, to technology and how technology was really driving change within organisations. And so that was an exciting time for me personally. But I sort of really started to, I suppose, as my career's evolved, being keen on following technology that enables change, that makes businesses more efficient, that transforms us from you know where we are today to where we want to be in the future and so for me i've had to transform my life from sport to business and that was a big shift personally i think transformation is the key to new opportunities and personal growth and all those things but there's a lot of things that sort of go behind it right you know it takes a bit of courage and it takes planning and goal setting and focus and all those things that i learned as an athlete but most importantly you've got to step up to the plate and take that first step and so sort of having taken that first step in my own transition and having led a few businesses now through transformational change, I'm just in a happy place where I currently working with Geoscape's government industry partners, customers, to focus on digital transformation and their own evolution pathways. So we live in a world today that where we all need to embrace change. You know, history shows that the pace of change is exponential. 
as you were talking through that, I was thinking, wow, you know, around that time, News Interactive, which then became, I think, News Digital Media, and and certainly Yahoo around that time, turn of the century, there's so much going on, massive change related to search, massive change related to the way news is delivered, the way things are discoverable. And then I was thinking, well, it hasn't actually slowed down, has it? I don't, don't know that it has. I don't think it has. I don't think it will. I mean, not in our lifetime. And so we're seeing change. We're seeing change all around us. And, you know, trying to keep up with that is not easy. But, I mean, you know, from a personal perspective, you've got to lean into these things and, you know, take that first step. The more you do it, the better you get at it. And I suppose that's been my transition into the business world. And I've ended up in a world where sort of, you know, data and technology companies in particular change at hyperspeed. And I just like the environment and I love that pace as well. Okay. Well, look, let's talk about Geoscape a little bit more. Firstly, just talk us through the structure. It's a bit of a weird one. Do you call it a government-owned business entity? It's a commercial business, but it's owned by multiple governments? Yes. Look, Geoscape's been around for about 25 years. It's owned by all of the governments of Australia. So all of the states and territories and the Commonwealth government all have an equal share in our company. We're an independent self-funded corporation and we're also governed by an independent skills-based board. So we're not funded by government in any way. When we were established, we were known as PSMA, the Public Sector Mapping Agency. And we now trade as Geoscape and we've traded as Geoscape since 2020. But just a little bit of history, back in the 90s, there was a real need for a national data asset. The states, territories, the custodians of their own respective land administration information, and there was no national asset. And so there was this real need to stitch all of that information together to develop a national data footprint effectively. And both government and industry really required a sort of consistent, reliable national data set to support their own initiatives. So things such as service delivery across the country or to power the census or to plan the NBN rollout and in more recent times, cross-border COVID passes. So there was a real need for it. But at the time, they also saw the value of national location data more widely for both citizens and the economy, which is, by way of example, is why the GNAF, the Geocoded National Address File, is freely available to the economy. It's uh, an authoritative national address file that organisations right across Australia use to plan and deliver their goods and services. Okay, so we can see how NBN rollout, yes, or even the census data or service delivery around some of the social services would use this address file. So talk me through some of the sort of high-value use cases that the commercial sector would use. Like it's a freely available data set. So who takes that data set and then turns it into some other kind of value? At Geoscape, we acknowledge that you know, everything happens somewhere or everything is either a place or has a place. And so there's many examples, to your point, there's public sector kind of examples, but there's also private sector. Some of the examples that I think really help explain what we do, emergency services is a great one, right? I know that's more public sector, but it's a great example how the information is used. And so in the case of natural disasters, which we've seen a lot of over recent years, floods and fires, the geoscape data really helps responders and those on the ground to understand more about the impact zone, the areas that are affected, so that they can make timely decisions. They need to understand which properties or areas are impacted by these natural disasters. They need to know what is the street address of that property. They need to know information about a property to help them manage disaster recovery efforts, such as 
where is the position of that building on a certain property so that we can get access to it to support people and evacuate people as an example where is the access to the property and the building so you know we know that our data is being used in many of those examples and have been used in those examples for years to assist in planning and response management but also in a recovery process so that creates great context for that sort of information other examples are in insurance risk management and things that we are more acutely aware of today so an insurance company today who's trying to build a risk profile around our properties that we live in and protect premiums effectively from natural perils. So understanding where a property is situated, understanding what type of building we have, what materials are those buildings made from? Are they prone to areas of risk to flood and fires? All of this information helps build a risk profile effectively of properties, enables insurers to start to level set and hopefully the more detail they have can start to provide fair pricing premiums because we all know that we've been impacted by insurance as a, a significant contributor to inflation in recent times. And then beyond that, there's just basic service delivery. I know I mentioned earlier, but you know, with the growth in online shopping and consumer demands for these days for seamless service delivery, our expectations are high as consumers. So location data is used to optimise delivery routes and accurately locate delivery addresses and get those goods and services delivered on time. So location data and the systems that we have support these digital experiences that we're all becoming accustomed to. And as people continue to buy you know, goods and services, such as pizzas and parcels every day, it really helps optimize businesses as well. I can see drone delivery companies getting hold of this information. So does this sound like a base layer of a digital twin of our society, I guess? Like do electricity companies have their nationwide wiring looms over the top or underground? There must be that kind of application for it. That is absolutely what they have. Yeah. And so, you know, we provide that sort of foundational footprint. You know, we have a 3D representation of every building in the country, 18 million buildings across the country. And we have information on those buildings that helps, to your point, utilities companies plan where they pipe these things, plan their assets, plan their development, their infrastructure, et cetera. So, yeah, it's a critical data set. Okay, so outside of government, who would be your biggest users? Insurers are big users. Financial institutions are big users of the information and as are property development infrastructure type companies as well. Really being able to understand, again, the landscape and really being able to understand how they can plan, what impacts it has on communities, um, what impacts it has on vegetation. These are all critical part of decision-making processes for how our society evolves over time. Okay, so talk me through how is the organisation structured in terms of the commercials? You're a commercial operation. You're expected to make a profit, I take it? Yes. Do you return profit to the shareholders, i.e. the government, or... Are you a self-sustained, like you keep building value into the data set that you have? Yeah, we're very lucky in that we've got great shareholders that can see, you know, the public good that we continue to create. So whilst we have to sort of maintain a, a sustainable business model and remain a, a viable going concern, we are quite lucky in the fact that our shareholders want us to continue to invest any profits back into creating greater public good and innovating to create great outcomes for the Australian economy. We're very lucky in the sense that we don't have shareholders banging fists on table, you know, looking for dividend payments every year. We have a very understanding set of shareholders 
that want to just see us continue to innovate and do some great things for Australia. Okay, I can see how large insurance companies, large telcos, large electricity companies, they all sort of know you guys, they know this stuff is available. What about, you would seem like a pretty important asset to startup software companies, anyone who's doing anything to do with a geolocation service, and there's a lot of those. Do you have many startups who've shown interest in value-adding to your product? How do you reach them? Absolutely. So firstly, we know, we think there's a lot of startups that access the geocoded national address file, and that's freely available to the economy in a really important data set, obviously. So because it's freely available, we can see that there's a lot of small businesses accessing that. And that can quite often lead on to, you know, what are the layers of geospatial information can we layer onto that sort of foundational asset? So what we are seeing sort of more recently are companies in the climate space. There's a lot of emerging technology in the climate space that um, helps businesses, large and small, to report, measure, and manage their carbon emissions outputs. So that's an emerging space for us. And so that's a really quite a busy space and quite a competitive space right now. And you will see a lot more of that happen over the next decade. Property technology. And so getting automated valuation models these days, whether it's helping the larger banks look at their asset values when they're lending money out effectively also to consumers. This information is really important. And what happens in the small business space is there's a lot of really smart technology that enables larger organizations to operate with great software. And that brings in, again, automated valuation models and you know risk models and all these things that overlay that flow through to impact that affect consumers. So there's some of the big industries where we see a lot of sort of startup activity. All right, I'm talking to Dean Capobianco. He's the chief executive of Geoscape. So look, it's impossible these days for me to have any conversation with anyone anywhere without talking about artificial intelligence and obviously the way things have kind of accelerated. So putting on your uh, future focus hat, how do you see artificial intelligence applying to the data sets that you have? And are you expecting a period of rapid, huge change? It's an interesting one for us. I mean, we, we have this conversation around the board meeting, you know, quite often. It's a noisy space right now. Companies are scrambling to understand how AI can play a role. But we have machine learning has been part of our business for years. And we've used machine learning and AI to help us refine and improve our data quality and user experience. And so, again, to make that a very practical example our addressing products, which are really you know, fundamental to our business. We have a predictive text capability. So when you are in your Service New South Wales application, the predictive text feature is always learning and finding ways to standardise improve the actual user experience in the application. And with the efficiencies that we gain through our application of AI and, and machine learning, to give you a sense of what that technology can do is that we can respond to over 10,000 citizen requests every second. So the application of AI in that space is really important because we're just helping improve the customer experience. On our buildings products, again, which I mentioned earlier, which is a digital representation of the entire built environment across the country and now has over 18 million buildings, our AI is constantly translating satellite and aerial imagery into building characteristics that companies and government want access to. And that happens for each building. So information such as the height of a building, the width of a building, the types of materials that that building consists of and its features. 
So these are really important models for us to continue to improve. And of course, we know we get enormous efficiency gains from artificial intelligence. And with those efficiency gains, it frees up our time to be thinking and innovating on bigger picture things. So AI is really critical to our operations today, and it has been for years, but it'll continue to be a big part of how we deliver improvements in our operations moving forward. So you're not just a data set, you provide services, for your services outfit, and what's your workforce? How many people, what kinds of people? We're currently a workforce of around 50 people. Part of the transformation that we've been through um, as an organization over the past, I want to say, sort of three to five years, is we've moved from a world where we were really people on keyboards producing data packages, and we would throw those data packages over the fence to our customers, and they would wrangle the data. The world's changed. Customers, partners want data in more real time, and they want services wrapped around that data often. So we focused and invested a lot of money over the past sort of three to five years to really focus on the automation of our data processing. That's been a huge focus for us, a huge investment for us. And in the meantime, you know, the nature of our people, our workforce has changed. We've got a lot more software engineers, you know, than we did, say, three or five years ago. You know, three or five years ago when we were building data packages, we had a lot of geospatial data analysts. Now we've got software engineers who are building tools to enable customers to access our data and so a hub environment is a great example where our customers can come in and access data they can access their licensing details they can access data they can discover new data and you know we can deliver that data through apis back to them so if you think about it we've moved from a data production house to a data as a service company it's been quite a significant shift over the past few years so can you see you guys evolving into I don't want to say into a consulting house, but certainly into a more of a service delivery operation where you're actually bringing higher level integration tools to allow it to be more accessible to smaller companies that might not have their own internal capability. Yeah, we certainly do think about that often. I mean, we work with a lot of partners who deliver that service at the pointy end. But again, you know, as the demand for this data grows, to your point, there's a lot of companies at the top end of the spectrum that have resources to manage. And we have to be thinking again of how we really support this company's medium enterprise community also. And so that's certainly at the forefront of some of our thinking and some of our innovation. Like I said, we currently do that through partners. But what has evolved for us also is that we've developed a model to enable custom data delivery into our customers and partners, whether that is small business or large business. Customers can now select the data they want when they want it in the format that they want it in. So that's really shifted for us. And so that is starting to sort of move further down the value chain and provide some service. How far we go down that value chain is something we haven't decided yet, but it's not out of the question. Wow. 50 people. That's a uh, big, big chunky piece of work for 50 people. I would say it's quite remarkable. Okay, I'm going to finish up on this. I'm just going to ask, like, you've been in the organization, I think, two, three years now. You've seen quite a bit of change in that time. What are you expecting to do in the next three years? What's your projects look like? So again, like I said, we've already gone through a massive transformation as an organization. Fundamentally, it's given us an outlook on our forward view of who we are as an organization, the purpose that we get up and go to work with every single day. Right now, our focus is on helping build a smarter, more productive country, assisting government industry, 
There is economic headwinds that we're all facing. And some of the big pillars for us right now are around climate change, supporting Australia's transition to net zero. Insurance accessibility on this on the radar. We talked about core citizen services and housing affordability is one of those big themes that keeps evolving for us and a role that we need to sort of continue to play. But we talked earlier, we touched just briefly on how the market's really evolving and evolving very quickly, but there's massive demands on government as well these days. And what's happening, you know, without climate as a, an example, whilst thousands of Australians are really rebuilding their lives from floods and fires that we again sadly experienced this summer, there's organisations across the country right now who are trying to work out how to manage their assets and operations as the impact of climate becomes more apparent. And what's happening at the moment is we are increasingly being asked as an organisation how location intelligence can really help support transformation of organisations. Part of this demand is happening because of the mandatory climate reporting. So that's a big theme. Like I mentioned, climate is a really big theme for us at the moment. Companies, people are increasingly worried about how climate's affecting them, their desire to just do the right thing. And we're working with companies in the industry as they prepare strategies around climate reporting and climate resilience. But the reality is we think that too many people are still wasting a lot of time looking for information they need rather than actually acting with the information that they have access to. So put it this way, if some of Australia's largest companies today are struggling to source information that they need to manage their climate risk and their reporting obligations. How on earth is the rest of the country doing it? So we figure that we've got a really important role to play in that. We are playing a role in that today, specifically with insurance companies and banks, but there's a much bigger role for us to play in that. And what we do know is the experience that we've had with GNAF, the Geocoded National Address File, and the, the value that it adds to the economy. You know, we think that we can play a very similar role to provide an authoritative, open, climate data set that can enable government and industry to sort of help us through this next phase of some of the challenges that we have as a country. Well, I am going to be watching very closely. I think it's such a valuable base layer asset that the nation has, and we'll be watching to see how you guys plug in. Thank you so much, Dan Capibianco, for being on the Commercial Disco. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me, James. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Commercial Disco podcast, proudly brought to you by CSIRO. Don't forget to like, subscribe and leave a review wherever you heard us. For the latest on tech, innovation and public policy, visit innovationoz.com. And stay connected with us on social media to ask questions or suggest future guests. Until next time, this is the Commercial Disco wishing you an inspired week ahead. <laughs>